Hey, we have a two-part bonus episode for you this week and over 10 interviews for you with leaders in robotics and machine vision. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. What's up, folks? It's the end of 2022 and the beginning of the new year. We've covered a lot on this show in the past year, and there's even more to talk about and look forward to in 2023. And to an extent, that's what this week's episode is all about. Towards the end of 2022, we ventured to Boston, Massachusetts for the Association for Advancing Automation's annual Vision Show and Autonomous Mobile Robots and Logistics Conference. Now, this was a co-located event. Both events were taking place at the same time, and honestly, it made a lot of sense. In the past, these have been two separate events, but this year, A3, the Association for Advancing Automation, brought them together under one roof. I mean, the way the industry is going, you really can't have robotics without imaging. You can't have mobile robotics without machine vision. The tie-ins are endless. So yeah, it was great being part of this week-long extravaganza. This is also somewhat of an anniversary episode, since I actually covered the AMR and Logistics Conference last year with Jake Hall, the Manufacturing Millennial. It was our first live show working together and the first time we did like a bunch of these rapid fire interviews and he is back again as our co-host for this year's series of interviews. Like I said, we have over 10 interviews lined up for you in the next two episodes and vision and robotics are just a couple of the topics we'll be covering. We have a bunch of old friends returning to the show, some new friends as well. It's really just like a good old party here on Manufacturing Happy Hour. Anyway, here in part one, you can consider this a bit of an intro. We'll be revisiting some topics that we discussed over a year ago and seeing how those played out, and also looking at the state of the industry today and where it might go in 2023 in the years to come. Part two, we'll dive a bit more into the warehousing and logistics side of the equation, but throughout both episodes, this is probably the thing I enjoyed the most. Our guests share a ton of insights that will be relevant whether you listen to these interviews this year, next year, or years and years down the line. As always, if you want to learn more, if you want to connect with all the guests that we feature in these interviews, you can do that at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash boston2022. That link will take you directly to the show notes page for this episode. And before we dive into our first interview, I also want to thank A3 for sponsoring this episode. And by the way, you know, this event took place in October 2020. A3 has their biggest event of 2023 coming up on May 22nd through 25th. That's right. That's the Automate Show. You've probably heard about it on this podcast before. If not, let me tell you about it again. It is the biggest conference, the biggest event in automation, and I highly recommend you get to Detroit, Michigan to check it out. It was an absolute blast last year. It was the place to be, and no doubt it's also going to be the place to be May 22nd through 25th in 2023 as well. So if you want to register for free for Automate, 
head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate2023. That'll take you straight to the registration page. And with that, I think it's time to dive into our first conversation. We're bringing Eric Nieves back to the show. And if you haven't listened to Eric Nieves before, I'd highly recommend hearing more about his background and in turn, his philosophy about technology adoption, technology hesitancy, and how robotics and automation are creating new opportunities for people. But today, we're going to dive right in with a bit of a state of the industry here in 2022 and 2023. Let's welcome back Eric Nieves, CEO of Plus One Robotics, to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Eric, it is always a pleasure to have you on this show. I'm glad to be here, fellas. A, a three-time alumni <laughs> yeah. manufacturing. Yeah, yeah no, it is. It is, it is now. It is now because you've been here three times. Um, you know, I got to ask you a question that's a, a big theme in your philosophy. You talk about technology hesitancy, mm-hmm. right? When manufacturers are afraid to try a new technology that you need to be empathetic and you really need to understand like what the root cause of why someone might be worried about going from zero to one to install their first robot to install automation. I'm curious, since we've talked to you before, how are you seeing manufacturers people in the logistics industry how are you seeing them deal with technology at this current time it's been a year since we last spoke about this so i'm curious what the current state is yeah well if the expectation had been that hesitancy would evaporate in 12 months time (laughs) that has not happened right um you know it's still true that warehouse automation is a nascent industry and while there's you know everybody's dabbling it's really difficult to, for folks to just dive in whole cloth. And, you know, where does that come from? It comes from, you know, they've been successful, right? If it's true that we're all victims of our own success, mm-hmm. that's a lot of what this is, right? I mean, they've been able to meet volumes at cutoff windows and grow their business. They've had to do it on the backs of labor, but it was reliable and it worked. And... Now the labor's not available. What am I going to do? Okay, robots. But I don't have any, have never had any, don't really understand what I'm saying when I speak the word and how it's actually going to affect what we do. Um, I know this, when I take and bring in an associate, you know, uh, maybe hire a temp agency, whatever, and start filling roles, I spent a little bit of time training them. I didn't have to teach them to walk. I didn't have to teach them, you know, a lot of things that, oh, now I'm going to put mobile robots in. I have to teach them the way. Oh, I'm going to put robot arms in. I have to, you know, teach them what they're looking at. All of those sorts of things that we can just assume people do, that you can't assume robots do. All of that lends itself to this hesitancy. Even with that, it is clearly improved. And it's improved because... You know, some of it is just time in market, and some of it is you're starting to see the Halo users emerge. Mm-hmm. That's hugely important, right? Everybody wants representation matters, right? People want to see somebody that looks like them that has taken that step and is successful with it and vocal about it. Those are two different things, folks. Yeah, absolutely. You can be very successful and hold it tight to the vest. You know, 
the ones that aren't out loud are the ones that are didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but to be successful and talk about it is, you know, new to see that happen. Um, you know, I was uh, uh, yesterday there was a talk and Ben Perlson from DHL, mm-hmm. right, talking about all of the different things that they've taken on in their automation journey and the successes that they can point to. Those are the types of things that pull this industry forward and narrow the catastrophe gap in the mind of the user of this warehouse operator uh, and, you know, mitigates hesitancy. and We can move faster. So I have one more question that'll probably get a long, thoughtful answer. Jake, do you have anything you want yeah, to add? How about you ask yours that? first? Uh, yeah. All right. So Eric and I were chatting before we hit record. We were having lunch together. And one of the reasons I enjoy interviewing you so much is I always get some sage career advice <laughs> from you as well. So this is going to be more the career and leadership topic. But okay. you were t- telling me about the conversations you have with people that join your team on their first day at plus one and there's some irony to that conversation can you share what that conversation is like yeah this is one of the fun things i get to do uh at plus one so you know there's always onboarding Mm -hmm. and day one uh is always such a happy time right people are getting their laptop they're getting their swag they got a plus one hoodie you know day one's a good day yeah um but i sit down with you know, folks that join us and say, hey, I want to talk to you about your last day at Plus One, right? And some folks, that kind of spooks. But, you know, here's the thing. If we hire somebody at Plus One, it's because they are capable, they are talented, they are hardworking, right? They have all the makings of a superstar in their own right. And in my view... That means they're not going to retire from plus one. Mm -hmm. At some point, they're going to want to go do their next thing. Uh, And so I talk to them about, let's assume that you are going to have a last day at plus one. I want to talk to you about when that should be. Mm. And uh, my position is, The day you stop learning at Plus One is the day you owe it to yourself and to me to turn in your notice. The day you stop learning. Because that's the day that this becomes just a paycheck. And life's too short. Yeah. Move on. And so, uh, but what that really does is it puts the onus on me and the leadership team to ensure that they are always learning because I don't want them to go. Yeah. I want to glean as much from their talents and their energy, you know, as I can, but I already made the declaration that the day you stop learning is the day you got to go. So professional development, you want to learn some new skill. You want to try something else in the organization, whatever it is, that you find as compelling as you sort of fill out your skill set. We're here for it because we've already said, if you stop learning, you're going to leave. Yeah. Right. 
there was a there was a story I heard. I think I was actually in um, Carol in, in Charlotte, and there was a manufacturer out there that started in 2021, uh, 2021, where they rolled out a retention interview. So every six months, they actually interview all the employees and saying, "What are you doing right now, and what do you wish you were doing right now?" Mm. And from that, they actually had from their standard, what they would call workers or operators, they've seen a 42% increase in retention by doing a every six months interviewing the employees saying, what are you liking and what do you want to do? I get that. You know, everybody's got a path. Yeah. And you have to assume they do and then sort of work with them to discover it and to support them along the way. And you're a lot stickier as an employer. Absolutely. Well, Eric, we always appreciate you jumping on. Is there anything you wish we would have asked you that we didn't cover today? Things that I wish we'd talked about. Um, I'm interested in seeing how these clusters keep developing. Mm, You know, uh, I bring it up because the last time we were together was in Pittsburgh. Yep. You got Pittsburgh. You got Silicon Valley. You got Boston where we are. And do we we have a San Antonio cluster That's the thing. I'm confident that the next emerging cluster will be San Antonio, Austin. The I-35 robotics corridor Mm -hmm. will be a thing. uh, And, you know, is it going to be Boston? I mean, are we going to be Boston? No. Are we going to be the Bay Area? No. But Pittsburgh, Atlanta, yeah. San Antonio, Austin, mm-hmm. these are going to be sort of the next places where robotics happens at scale. Uh, and, you know, this is a good thing. We need it all throughout the country. Uh, we need to be tapping into more pockets of, you know, universities and research groups, et cetera. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's all to the good for where we're building this whole industry. Well, Eric, I love learning from our conversations every time we chat. Thanks so much for jumping back on. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon, guys. Always a pleasure catching up with Eric. And gosh, that might be one of the most important retention lessons we've ever heard on this podcast. Next up, we have Jeremy Berg, the president of IDS Imaging here in North America. If you've been to one of A3's events, I mean, you can't miss this guy. For those listening, um, you know, you'll, you, you'll hear why in just a second, but Last year when we did this episode, we really focused on autonomous mobile robots. But since we're mixing it up this year with Vision, let's get some base definition around imaging and its adoption in the industry. Keep in mind that these interviews weren't necessarily recorded in the order that they're appearing in this podcast. But since Jeremy did such a good job of simplifying the role of vision and imaging, he's coming up right now. How do, how do you look our height almost right now, Jeremy? I must have really long legs. Okay. Yeah, I'm mostly legs. Do you do, you do that a lot, like, just to, like, try to make like, yourself shorter when you're like, Sometimes, I know yeah. I'm the tallest person here. You probably have ways to shrink yourself a little bit. I think I do, yeah. Okay. Especially, like, when I'm standing next to people talking, I do, like, either spread my legs a little bit more or, you know. Yeah, the wide stance. <laughs> wide like, stance. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Ready for everything. Well, this is a great intro already. Yeah, let's, are, we, yeah. Rec- are we recording? Oh, we're recording. Okay, okay, perfect. All right. Well, Jeremy, welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Thank you. I think the only appropriate way to start this because these these day two interviews are always fun because I've actually gotten to hang out with people at a happy Mm. hour at this point. And Jeremy, we got to meet last night uh, at the the bowling alley, uh, Lucky Strike. Yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. Which was an awesome facility. Old converted building here in Boston that, from what I understand, was it you that told me it used to be a roller rink? Or did someone else tell me that? No, it wasn't me. Was it Bob Feathers? Oh, yeah, it was. It was, uh, yeah, a local 
friend of ours yeah. that came to the event. So, yeah, bowling alley and a converted roller rink, great spot to talk about vision and imaging. Yep. So in that spirit, how do you describe what you do as if you're having a beer with someone at a happy hour? Uh, beer with someone at a happy hour that doesn't really know our industry. I'll say, um, you know, machine vision camera is not the kind you bring out and point and shoot. It's pretty much any time a machine needs eyes, right? Yeah. Um, so I'll say, and to put it into more context, I'll say drones, satellites, medical devices, um, manufacturing quality inspection, that kind of stuff. So that's how I, I will say it uh, maybe to some friends who are like, what's machine vision? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great, actually a really good way to o- overly simplify it as well, yeah. which is our goal on the show. Yeah. So machine vision, it's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, and I would say over the past few years, we've seen the largest growth and, or adoption of machine vision for sure, yeah. in, in our industry. Why is that? Um, I think, you know, as more, more people... Um, you know, you, there's a lot of different potential ways, but you can think of reshoring, right? A lot of people want to bring manufacturing back to the U.S., but Americans are expensive, you know? Um, you got to find ways to be more efficient, to automate the processes, and, you know, having the vision there to be able to tell, you know, give an idea of what needs to be done, and then obviously automating that somehow with the machine to be able to do those processes. So if you're trying to simplify things, I would say that would be the, the main, one of the main reasons that we see machine vision um, blowing up. Uh, but also there's cameras in everything, right? We, we never used to all carry them in our pockets, yeah. right? Um, so they're everywhere and they can do many different things. So, um, it, pretty much any industry you can think of like golf swing analysis and, you know, uh, yeah, golf swing analysis is a great one. I love yeah, that one. It's, and it's, it's very popular for mm-hmm. machine vision, right? Mm-hmm. They need fast so they just need a little tiny field of view. And in that six inches from you hitting the ball, they can tell exactly how yeah. far it's going to go and, and if it's going to slice or not. So I mean, for me, my personal favorite is I love watching baseball. Yeah. Um, you know, the Chicago Cubs are the same performance as the St. Louis Cardinals this year. I don't know why we're in talking. The, in, the, in the playoffs. <laughs> but, you know, I think I always love watching how the camera's recognizing the type of ball yep. and the spin of the ball. Yeah. And, like, these incredible things that you would never be able to realize through machine vision. They can look at the ball and see how fast it's spinning. Mm-hmm. Or before, and then all of a sudden it's completely changed the way the game has been played as well by watching the, the speed of the ball and the spin rate of the ball. True. It's And, and then the analytics behind um, what pitchers to put against what batters mm-hmm. and then how they hit different spin rates. It's 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 true. It's yeah. around all of us. Yeah, I think we're, um, you know, we're just really, we love data now, right? Yeah. The more data, the better. Visually and, you know, everything else. you got to put it all together and gather information and insights out of it. That's the only way to get an edge nowadays, whether or not in business or in sports. So it, so it's a way to get an edge in sports. Let's talk manufacturing and mm-hmm. warehousing and that. What What is the adoption you're seeing right now, right? We know that there's opportunity to use this. We know there's data that comes mm-hmm. from it to find defects, impact quality in a positive way, etc. Yep, definitely. What's been your sense of acceleration, deceleration, people taking advantage of this opportunity? Um, I mean, acceleration, the, the foot was on the gas fully uh, until the supply chain crisis, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, foot was on the gas and then it's still, it's still there. Uh, it might have let up a little bit, but only because the supply chain wasn't there. So um, that's starting to creep back into uh, a better spot now. Yeah. Um, it's made people become more versatile, right, so that they can uh, 
um, I, I guess, verified different components that can go in where before it was just one and you had that relationship with that one vendor, but now it's really opened things up. Um, mm-hmm. So, but I think, you know, to answer your question, it's still, the, the foot's still on the gas. People still want the adoption of more automation and, and uh, more, you know, efficiency in their organization. And machine vision helps with that. For the final question, I'd like to talk about risk, you mm-hmm. know, and vision has always been viewed in our industry as a very high risk automation and industrial solution. Hmm. How do you work with companies now to have them understand what the risk is and how the evolution of machine vision over the past few years has really mitigated that risk? That's a good question. I think, you know, in terms of risk, I think there was a big issue before with, uh, you know, in terms of the interface, right, and the quality of the cables and and how the packets of information got transferred from one to the other. And there's potentially a lot of breakdown there in terms of how people integrated their SDK and and how things were, um, how the communication happened on the back end there. Um, And I think there's been leaps and bounds, just constant improvement there. Um, And I think especially because of the hardware situation, when that reduced, Mm -hmm. there was more engineering resources focused on the software, right? Yeah. Either taking the time now to, since we have these resources, we don't want to lay people off. Maybe we focus some um, engineering resources toward making our software better or making the connection more reliable. Um, and not just the not just in recent terms, but I think that has been going on for you know quite a few years now, and the reliability is there on you know for a lot of companies. Well, hey, Jeremy, we appreciate you taking the time to jump on the show. Yes. Glad we got to pull this off. Glad Absolutely. our friend Joe Gemma serendipitously got us introduced <laughs> so we could make this. Shout happen. out to you, Joe. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time to jump on the show. My pleasure. Thank awesome. you guys very much for having me. We'll catch you soon. Speaking of Joe Gemma, he's up next. Many of you might already know Joe. Not only is he the global VP of sales and marketing at Calvary Robotics, but he also appeared on one of our episodes last year, and he's an absolute icon in the automation and robotics industry. I know some people refer to him as Yoda because he might as well be an industry historian with all the wisdom he has to share. We're going to roll into that in a second. But first, hey, I'm glad Jeremy was able to provide us with some Machine Vision 101 there. And of course, if you want to learn more or connect with any of our guests, you can do that at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Boston 2022. Anyway, it's time for Joe Gemma. Joe was actually the first interview we did at this event, and I think you'll see why we waited until we had our conversation with Jeremy to slot this one in. We're also going to talk about workforce and the workforce trends we're seeing in the industry. Joe, welcome back. It's good to have you here. You kicked us off at AMRL last year in 2021. You were our first interview. So I think the only appropriate question to start our interview with, Joe, what have you seen change in the past year? If you reflect on October 2021 and where we are now, How? what have you seen change and how have you seen it impact, let's say, the robotics industry? The great question. And, and certainly, you know, as I said before, it's a very dynamic time in our industry anyway. It, it seems like every aspect of the technology is changing rapidly. Uh, related to the, uh, we'll say, the AMR 
type platforms, a, a, a big difference. It was talked about actually the keynote today, visions having more and more of an impact. The technology of the vision, 2D, 3D, and how it can impact, you, you know, going to non-structured environments. And, and this whole idea that we talked about the last time, if you remember a year ago, although I don't remember what I had for breakfast, but I remember that discussion. <laughs> um, we talked about how this is a disruptive technology. It's really going to places we couldn't. And adding in this technology of the real advancement of the vision and what it means to be able to manipulate these these devices and you know putting robots on platforms like it was talked about earlier this morning at a keynote and and how vision is, is having the positive impact to be able to go in those different environments I even mentioned I, I think the last time about agricultural environments yeah well, that, that's a really inconsistent environment so having vision you know that I'll say the the human aspect of being able to control whatever that device is through using that technology is really a positive impact to what that technology will mean going forward. Yep. And you have a lot of roles in our industry. You've been the president of the National Federation of Robotics. You're part of a lot of A3 boards. But let's talk about what you're doing for your day job. You're the VP at Calvary Robotics. And I think one of the exciting things is you guys have grown 100 employees since we since the beginning of this year. So basically since we talked last year, where do you see a lot of that growth? Is that engineers? Is that, you know, what, what are the, what's the, the growth that we're seeing as a lot of custom machine builders and systems, systems integrators happening right now? Great question. Thanks. You're right. Calvary, uh, it's group. Calvary Robotics has grown pretty rapidly. A lot of that's driving that, and it's across all the sectors, by the way. So certainly we're adding on the front end of the business and the application side, the sales side, to be, you know, in front of customers more and, and help. But there's more customers, more sectors that are looking for automation technologies. Uh, you know, if you think about what's gone on post-COVID, a lot of people didn't come back into the workforce. They stayed home with their families if they could, is one. Uh, certainly, there was a big stretch of, uh, uh, of the population, a big part of the population that retired. In fact, I think 50% statistically, more than 50% over the last two years, more retired didn't come back into the workforce. So it's really putting a lot of companies at a position where if they want to make product and they can't get the people, then they need to look at automation technologies. So that's helping us as, an, as a company have opportunities we didn't see in the past. And in order to do that, we need more uh, let's say shoulders to carry the load to be able to bring more automation solutions. And again, it's everywhere. It's controls engineering, it's electrical engineering, it's the mechanical engineering, uh, all of the aspects of our business. In fact, we've recently added a second internal recruiter to our business, just help to bring people into our, uh, wow. you know, to bring add more people to our staff. One other thing that you mentioned last year, I'm like, it's all coming back from our conversation mm -hmm. last year. One one of your takeaways from the event was, hey, companies need to hire more technologists mm -hmm. within their organization. And that was, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen that at Calvary or out in the field, but are you seeing more of that? Um, and if you haven't seen it yet, that's okay. But I'm just curious if that's a trend where you, you, you've seen or if you think we'll see more of soon. Well, so we, we, uh, what I do see as a trend to try to support that maybe is more and more people are doing internships and even mm -hmm. some apprenticeship programs. Oh, okay. And part of that program strategy is to get people kind of cross-trained, yeah. that, that cross-pollinization of technologies. So this summer, we brought on several people from, from universities, mm -hmm. and we had them work in various, various departments. Oh, so they okay. got exposure to those various departments. So it's giving them a, a taste of that. And then when they go to back to school for their senior or junior year, they know, okay, these are the areas that I want to get more understanding of yeah. so when i go out to the marketplace i'll be more valuable because they see that they're value to us 
No, that's that's fantastic. So I, I, one other thing is with a lot of people who are listening to this podcast or watching the video online and they want to say, hey, there's a lot of automation happening, but I just don't know where to start in my process or within where manufacturing facility. You talked about Calvary is growing on all these different industries. Mm-hmm. Where should people start to first understand where their best, I guess you could say lowest hanging fruit is in a manufacturing facility? That That's a great question. And it, often it's the, it's the thing that makes you successful and not successful. Mm-hmm. Typically and too often when people look at their first time of automation, they look at their manufacturing and try to Oh, here's the most difficult task. If I can automate this, I can I really can automate anything. everything. <laughs> and that's really not the great way to start. You've probably heard me say before, it's almost like taking your teenager and saying, okay, I'm going to put you behind the wheel of an 18-wheeler to teach you how to drive. Mm-hmm. Y- you wouldn't start in that, in that direction. So it's the same kind of thing. So I, I would say reach out to an integrator or maybe even a local distributor and have them come and look at your, your operation, kind of get some advice on where those those low-hanging fruit. I'm not sure low-hanging because you don't want to make it the easiest thing yeah. necessarily, but something you can bring some value to and that technology already exists. Don't try to develop new technology for an application. Try to start with something so you can learn the technology, understand how to use the technology, and then expand on it. So, uh, again, something a little bit more, uh, I'll say, success-oriented to start out. And then also make sure you get the staff and support going forward to make sure that continues to be successful. Because once the integrator leaves or once the partner leaves, you want that system to be productive continually, right? Last question before we wrap up. So we started the conversation with, you know, between last year and now, what's your prediction for the next year, right? There's some uncertainty ahead of us. I'm a big believer in, hey, controlling the things you can. Where are you going to be focused over the next year? Well, uncertainty, if you mean by from a financial perspective or the the economy, first, I, I don't get really overly concerned about that type of thing because uh, recessions, except for the Great Recession, recessions typically last about nine, ten months. Yeah. Most companies we work with, they, their vision is much longer than that. Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're not making products for next year and only next year. You know, so they're looking at that. So investments for them, from that perspective, I think, will continue. I, I'm not really in fear of that. I, I think that the, uh, you know, going back to the technology changes, I think this particular part of the industry is going to continue to have tremendous positive impact for us and as we talked about well actually um, the Boston Dynamics keynotes talked about more and more of the interface interoperability across those platforms that's really where the future is going to be Uh, customers are pushing that they want equipment to talk to each other so not just the the platforms and not just the robot to the platform but the robot to the platform to the CNC machine to the PLCs etc so that's going to be the big push going forward is it next year? Maybe not, but it's in the future, yeah. and I think it's going to be pushed by the yeah. customers. So, again, thank you, gentlemen, for inviting me to join me yeah. today. Great questions. I appreciate it. Always great seeing you, and, and thanks for uh, the little plug for Calvary Robotics. We appreciate that, too. We look forward to having you back to kick us off in 2023. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a deal. Put me on your calendar. Cheers. We'll see you. Great update on the industry and great getting Joe's perspective as to how his own company, Calvary Robotics, has been growing. Honestly, a helpful example that showcases some of the bigger trends in the industry as a whole. Plus, I imagine many of you are actually catching this episode at the start of 2023, and I just love that perspective he shared about working through a recession if you're focused on a long-term strategy. We're going to keep the Joe Gemma connections rolling because Tang Cooch is up next. Joe pulled us aside at the show and was like, hey, you guys have to interview Tang. 
Tang is with CMES Robotics, a company that enables 3D vision for factory and warehouse robots. But the real crux of this conversation is that Tang actually has a great lesson to share about how to successfully move into a new market. Let's talk a little bit about CMES Robotics to start with. Yeah. You guys are a Korean, South Korean company that started about eight years ago, and you joined the U.S. market. That's correct. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, what has that been like to 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 uh, be a part and, and move into a new industry? You know, it's exciting because uh, we've been very comfortable and uh, have grown really well in South Korea. You know, we have clients like Coupon, we have uh, Nike, we do the midsole. Um, Essentially, we do the laser cutting of the midsole for Nike. We work with Hyundai, LG, so respectable big enterprises in South Korea. Well, about two years ago, we wanted to tackle the great American factory and warehouse, uh, you know, the need for automation. So our CEO wanted to bring one of uh, his advisors, who's the, US, the, the president of the U.S. division. His name is Alex Cho. So Alex has had a wealth of knowledge in robotics and automation. And he happens to live in Seattle. So we started our office in Seattle, Washington. And that's where I'm from originally as well. And uh, yeah, so two years ago, we brought uh, that uh, knowledge and our, our software solution to work with any robots. And, you know, we have had a great time getting to know um, uh, all the robot makers like KUKA, you know, uh, Fanic, ABB, um, bunch of great guys, Kawasaki. So, yeah. you know, I don't want to miss any names. <laughs> <laughs> They're all great friends of ours, and they've introduced us. And, you know, we work with companies like Calvary and BHS, uh, great integrators out there as well. So they've been instrumental in getting us to the end users. So those end users are, are coming in. The last couple of years, we've done quite a bit of the trade shows, you know, the A3s, Automate, uh, as well as the Pack Expo shows. The, the automation industry is massive. The manufacturing industry is awesome. What niche solutions are you guys bringing to the market that, you know, you saw America as the next frontier of opportunity? And then how do those niche solutions that you bring go into finding partners out there to deploy those solutions? Great question. So in Korea, in South Korea, we pretty much can do anything that needs to be, you know, uh, automized uh, with robots. In the U.S., we don't want to tackle the whole industry. What we want to do is just do the basic loading and, and unloading, which is palletization and depal. So our specialty is bringing the software, which we call the, you know, the the eyes and brain to integrate with any uh, robots and with any uh, end-of-arm tools, you know, like Schmaltz, and essentially uh, integrate with uh, PLCs so we can essentially load and unload heavy objects uh, from a pallet onto a conveyor belt and vice versa. This alleviates a, lo- a lot of the, the heavy man labor, you know, the, uh, the workers' comp issues, all these things. So essentially we see a huge need for that. And of course there's some solutions out there, but for us using our AI 3D vision software that is very agile and very flexible and working with any robots, any uh, system integrators out there, we feel like that's a simple plug and play. So one thing I want to ask, back to another topic you were talking about earlier, you said, you know, you came to North America two years ago, the company did, um, right. and 
you have a number of partners that have allowed you to align with those partners. Has that been your strategy for breaking in to a new market, like a completely new country? Yeah. Or yeah. What, what, what has been, whether that's the core aspect of it, if there are other pieces of it, how do you break in to a new market, especially one that's fairly established like right. the U.S.? Yeah, good question. Um, we find that as an easier route, you know, to go to uh, an end customer and say, hey, I'm Tang Cooch. And with CMES, you know, let me provide you the robotic solution. It's a little difficult. Yeah. Whereas if I go to Joe Gemma, right, of Calvary, Mm -hmm. uh, attending this conference, this really helps uh, just networking and meeting a lot of the end customers uh, with their relationships to the system integrators. They kind of give us a little bit of uh, a warm lead, you know, into uh, getting uh, prospects and clients. At the end of the day, we want to prove, you know, our solution is top-notch and uh, we should be able to provide the, the right ROI for the end users and the you know the quick setup installation with the right um, system integrators okay so when it comes to breaking into a new market pick one of the areas you're specialized in elsewhere and leverage relationships with the right technology providers to start getting access to that market Make sure to check out Tang and CMES Robotics. Give them a search or know that you can find a link to their site at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Boston 2022. Next up is Rajesh Iyengar, founder and CEO of Lincode Labs. They help manufacturers improve their quality inspection by 10x when it comes to finding quality defects. Let's hear that from Rajesh, though. Here's more on how that works and how his company got there. Rajesh, it's great to have you here. Likewise, thank you. So I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at Lincode, and I want you to describe this for us because when I look online, it says you are an AI visual inspection system for quality control. Absolutely. And and I get the impression that helps manufacturers see things they haven't always been able to see. We were chatting before the interview, right? I think you were giving the, an example of like a scratch that a manufacturer was not able to see until. They leveraged your solutions. Can you describe that story a little bit, what it was like before and then what it was like after? Yeah. So I left to just a little bit backtrack how we started. So yeah. I'll give you an example, like, you know, why we are able to do what we are able to do today. So prior to starting Lincode, we always had few customers talking to us and asking us, can you solve this particular challenge in the manufacturing environment using AI and so on? So we gave a pass always, and once, um, you know, we got you know, repeated uh, things from various customers. Then we thought, you know, it should be a big challenge to solve. So we went to around 300 plus manufacturers. We asked them what all their top 10 challenges. 86% of them said quality inspection is their number one challenge. And that got us intrigued. And we wanted to know like why everyone is saying that as a challenge. And we went to the manufacturing floor. We actually sat with the quality inspection teams. We noted down what the technology they use and how they are doing the quality inspections. And we figured the true, you know, the false positives was the biggest concerns for them because that was, you know, costing them a lot of money in terms of penalties, uh, production downtime, and repeated uh, material wastages and so on. And that's the reason why we started this company altogether and we started working on a specific problem statement, which is how do we scale the deployments with a higher accuracy? And that's what we are solving today. Yeah. I love that aspect about the story. You went to 300 different manufacturers. I mean, that's a great startup story right there. 
why 300? Was that just the the number, or how did you how did you say that's the right representative sample? Okay, so I mean, not exactly bang 300. Maybe yeah. you know, maybe 312 sure. or 313. Yeah, so absolutely. I just yeah. rounded up 300. <laughs> but yeah, so we wanted to reach out to as much as customers possible. Like we had probably shortlisted some 500 to 600 customers. Yeah. But what we actually got the message back was only from this 300, hmm. and that's that's the starting point for us. But of course, we carried on with those research uh, with Gartner's data. Uh, we have signed up with yep. Gartner and. We are working with them, and they provide us various data points. And uh, we repeatedly seeing, you know, keep seeing that uh, quality inspection is their number one, you know, challenges. You know, still even today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So when we look at AI, I think there's a lot of perception on that AI is a very difficult process to understand. It's difficult to integrate. How how has AI been simplified in a way where it's a lot easier for companies to roll out? when it comes to the deployment on their facility or on their factory floor. Yeah, absolutely. So AI, you know, is as a deep learning, it needs a lot of data to, you know, get the accuracy level which is required in the manufacturing floor. So what we did is instead of doing the, you know, data collection for each and every industry, we want to focus on specific industries first. And we chose automotive. Uh, because the fact is in automotive there are only about 500 to 600 OEMs whereas there are 250,000 suppliers to these OEMs. So the problem is not with the OEMs, the problem is with the suppliers. So we are focusing on the tier 1, tier 2, tier 3 suppliers who have the biggest challenge. So for that we've actually created an AI model specifically to work with the plastics and steel and metal which is the most used material in the automotive industry. So we have created a huge data set of that and we have created models specific to every aspect of the engine or uh, plastics in the cars and so on. And that way, uh, we just need a few images uh, to, you know, train for that particular model of the you know factory which is producing the product and we quickly deploy. So we just need about three to four days to deploy. Uh, you know, whereas in a deep learning, you need about three to four months to deploy for AI model. So that's what we have made uh, AI as an easier uh, aspect for the manufacturers. I've got to add something in here because Rajesh, I think you're saying some things that are super valuable for manufacturers out there and people starting their own companies, right? Like the reality is when you're doing these things, you're talking about, hey, we talked to this many customers. We narrowed it down to automotive. We narrowed it down to this material in automotive. Like there's so many lessons I'm pulling from this just in terms of the value of narrowing your focus and being really good at certain applications yeah, as you're starting absolutely. out. I mean, has that been, would you say that's fair to say that's been a part of your strategy? Absolutely. Like narrowing? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. All right, you heard me say it there. No need to repeat myself, but man, Linco just gave a textbook example for narrowing your focus to go after an ideal target market. Our next guest is Denise Stafford from KUKA Robotics. We're near the end, so we're going to start having a little bit of fun. We're going to get to know Denise a bit first before hearing about some unique applications in automation. Okay, so you were actually a patent engineer before you got in robotics, correct? That's correct. I was. Can you dive, Can you tell us what that was like? Like, talk about being a patent engineer and what you do, because I'm not sure all our listeners know exactly what goes into that. So it's... You have to love language and you have to love to some degree law, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of rules behind that. But you also have to love technology. So the exciting part is you get all the invention from your 
R&D, right, from all these creative people. And then you take that and then you have to make a decision if you can file a patent on that or not. So you have to make a judgment if it's new enough. And, you know, there, there, then there comes the law stuff to, to de decide that. But you work with a lot of creative people. So it is more fun than it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it sounds really cool. When you're dealing with patents, there's creativity. There's obviously the legal aspect to it as well. You really get to dip into a lot of fields that very few people yeah. dabble in. But speaking of your, your current field now, so Denise, you've been with KUKA for about 15 years now or so? Yes. Awesome. And so you're focusing right now primarily on mobility within the KUKA ecosystem of all the things you can do. Can you talk to us more about, you know, what are you seeing within the mobility market and how is KUKA playing a role in that? So first of all, to start off, you know, the mobility market is, it's, it's kind of, you know, the, the new world of robotics right now. There's so much potential. And for me, the most interesting part is that it's cross-industry now. That's also true for robotics, right? So, but I started KUKA in the automotive sector. So, you know, it, and it's a great industry to work with, you know, but, but now I see all these different industries and these different, you know, how do you do jewelry? How do you pack? I was at an air caterer, you know. Um, how do you do the stuff that then ends up on your table in an airplane? So, yeah. so, so, so there's, there, there's that. There's so much more variability you're seeing yeah. in this industry uh, than uh, just automotive cars, 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 cars. Right, uh, which I, is nice too, but yeah. I, I want to know how those, like you're talking like airline dishes, basically? Yes. Like, like real, that's, uh, how does that work? <laughs> Tell us a bit about that. We're just learning new things yeah. as we keep going. So if I, it's a couple of years back, you know, but then, you know, when we came up with the, so, so we, we often come up with the new type of robotics. Like, yeah, we had the first industrial version of a collaborative robot. You know, we were kind of um, one of the first bringing mobile robots. So, so you you get interest from all over the world. So I and and was actually in Singapore. So I had to fly there, right? So I never so, and it's actually a lot of people <laughs> putting together your meal. Yeah. But what I did not know is, and I can't remember the specific airline behind that you can order very specific food if you travel in an airplane so you can say i have a nut allergy or i only want to have seafood or what so, so there are some airlines that actually give you i don't know if it's true today yeah still right but sure so so they have to be very flexible and um it was also one of the setup where the idea was great right to to have robots doing but sometimes it's not the right time yet you mm -hmm. know and if you and then the customers start to realize okay if i want to handle salad right how how do i do that or if i want to go where humans are very flexible yeah so, absolutely and with mobile i mean as uh, a stationary robot kind of people understand it, it's standing there and you have to do, so mobile now gets into more interesting ideas I don't want to say crazy because you know you can do a lot of yeah. things but really interesting ideas well I think what you're seeing now is you're seeing a you're seeing a lot of companies out there um, wanting to know what can I automate that I've never done before and 
as so many different industries are experiencing work shortages that they didn't before, they want to know, can, I, can a robot do this? Can a robot do this? Can I move product A from product B without the need from a high-load driver or, or a forklift or a worker? So we're just seeing so many new things now. That's, 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 that's true. And um, sometimes I'm surprised what they come up with. Um, I mean, the... And and if you look at to our robot, it's really it's meant for going to production environment, right? So, but but people come up with, I have this, you know, I have to clean bathrooms. <laughs> and I think that's a good approach, but I'm not sure if that's you, you know. So so, but other than that, yeah, there are. Since I start, I mean, I think I do mobile now for seven years, roughly. Yeah. We we always think about complex things robots can do, right, and help. But sometimes they are simple things that mm. might help a lot you know that also seems to be like like opening a bottle and close it or just open it mm-hmm. uh, depending on how how high value people you have doing that or how often you have to do that that might be a valuable task so sometimes these are very easy tasks that and, and you expect something totally complex right mm. that doesn't mean that easy is not, you know, even if it's a simple task for us, doesn't mean that it's not a more complicated. I think that's a great point, right? When you're thinking about robotics, sometimes you're thinking of these, like, I don't know why we default to this, but like, oh, it's going to do some really high-tech yeah. tasks, some yes. high-tech thing. And yeah, at the end of the day, opening and closing a bottle is a task that is probably very boring for a yeah. person to do. And of course, that would be the right spot to automate first and leverage a robot first. Opening bottles, maybe beer bottles, a very appropriate topic for this show. You know, I like how um, Denise was able to bring it back to one of Joe's earlier points about automation and how it's important to select the right tasks to automate. Okay, so we've made it to the final interview for this half of the episode, and we're going to be speaking with Patty Katsaris of Locus Robotics. Now, Patty is an industrial marketing extraordinaire and has been a marketing leader at Waypoint Robotics as well as Locus, who acquired Waypoint not too long ago. This conversation is fairly marketing-centric, but let's meet up with Patty to learn how these two different experiences tie together. I have a question, a two-part question. I'm notorious for these, but I'm going to divide it up very, very (laughs) simply. So we like getting some takeaways and lessons on this show. And you worked for a small company, and you got acquired by a larger company. I'm curious, what was a lesson you learned that's been valuable uh, working from a small company? And what's a lesson that working at a large company taught you? Um, So the small company... What was really fun about the small company was being scrappy and really taking and and using relationship building and mm-hmm. connecting with with people in all aspects of the industry to help um, to help really learn about from the customer perspective what they needed, but also in the industry mm-hmm. and watching the evolution of like the robotics industry to go from piloting to actually deployment and and watching the ecosystem build around it and and thinking about how we can be helpful like we kind of always took the approach like how can we help say writers and newer writers in the industry or or associations in the industry how can we help them with our expertise and offer that Mm -hmm. and um to to kind of further promote the ideas throughout and use that as like almost you know 
guerrilla marketing, yeah. pardon the, the word, but really was that. It was like, but, but the idea was always like, how can we be helpful in what we're doing and using our expertise? It's so funny. We literally just had that conversation yeah. with a small, scrappy company right yeah. before it, and we called it guerrilla marketing there as well. Yeah. So I didn't mean to interrupt. I just thought it's, I love when there are commonalities yeah. across these interviews. So then what, what and about I the like, I love that. Like, yeah. I, I oh, personally love that because it is, it's a much more of a, instead of just kind of, look at me, promote, promote, promote. Um, it's more of you're taking that sort of um, helpful approach yeah. in mm-hmm. marketing and, mm-hmm. and use, utilizing either your technical expertise or how you're helping customers so that other people can learn it. And the, uh, one great thing about the robotics community is that it is a very collaborative community. Mm-hmm. We all work together. We're all trying to advance and it's not as cutthroat. So it, it lends itself to more of those opportunities, which Absolutely. I really love. Um, and then, and what's now, what's great with, with Locus is, well, first of all, fundamentally, they're excellent people, like awesome people. Mm-hmm. And when you're, when you're in the process of the potential acquisition, you're in the dating phase yeah. and you're mm-hmm. talking to them and they're mm-hmm. offering these How things. How long did the dating it's phase last? <laughs> um, it was very fast because okay. it was such a good fit. And Locus, gosh, the, they're just, like top notch through and through in that company and our my company yeah. you know, that I'm yeah. part of mm-hmm. um, that they they move fast they make decisions and they they knew immediately it was a really great fit but you never know in that dating phase like because they're promising the world you know you're yeah. like yeah hey, yeah and then I mean I, almost a hundred percent everything they they said they were gonna do they did throughout they kept everybody they not only um brought us on but they welcomed us with open arms and they they we were all in different parts i'm actually um, in marketing operations now so a little bit Mm. different yeah but um they they really found home for us and they've been they've been tremendous so it's been awesome but it's a different perspective because you go from small scrappy to the giant giant (laughs) yeah but it but and also what's what's really fun is like they have so much deep experience so we have so much deep experience in warehousing and logistics but waypoint is coming and has that manufacturing experience in the industrial and so we bring to bear that that um, expertise and how how you can kind of expand the use cases um, and and like the robotics within you know within the four walls of a warehouse yeah. you can do a lot more but then you can also kind of expand that through to to manufacturing as well absolutely all right all right all right that's it for part one you know patty will actually be back here in part two which is coming up right after this In that episode, we'll be talking a bit more about the logistics and warehousing side of the business. But first, hey, I want to thank everyone that appeared here in part one. As always, if you want to connect with anyone you heard in these interviews, if you think they're doing cool things, if you think you might be able to do business with them, hey, you can connect with all of these people by going to the show notes page. I have links to all of their LinkedIn profiles, all of their companies there. Head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Boston 2022. It'll take you right there. I also want to thank Jake Hall for co-hosting. You know, I often just assume that everyone here knows who Jake is, but hey, if you're just learning about him for the first time, you absolutely need to connect with him on LinkedIn as well. He's super active when it comes to pulling the younger generations into the workforce. Anyway, just look him up. He's known as the Manufacturing Millennial. And of course, you can go to the show notes page if you want a one-stop shop for connecting with him as well as all the other guests from these two episodes. 
As we wrap up, I do want to thank the Association for Advancing Automation, A3, for sponsoring this episode, for inviting us out to their show, for helping put together these interviews. Hey, you want to make sure to check out their big show coming up May 22nd through 25th, 2023. That's Automate in Detroit, Michigan. You can actually register for that for free by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate2023. You'll be hearing more about that show in the months leading up to it. But in the meantime, hey, we've got part two coming right up. So stay innovative, stay thirsty, and we'll see you back here for the second half real soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.